Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Why don't you guys pray with me? Dear Jesus, we make mistakes, and music gear and sound gear has its own issues, but you are perfect, and we love you, God. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Pray as we open up the Bible and... uh, Talk about uh, some truth and what you've laid on my heart this week, God, that it would just be you that speaks and that you would continue to uh, speak into our hearts and change our lives. We love you so much. Amen. Sorry, I'm uh, just learning how to use a mic, so it's new stuff. Um, We have really good music at FPC uh, and great musicians. uh, Also, Barry plays, but um, we have uh, really good music here. But uh, some mornings, man, uh, that, that was my... That set list was my jam this morning. That was so good. Uh, that song, Grace Alone, uh, like you said, they've been doing it at Youth a bit, and that is uh, such an amazing song. Um, just to reflect on, even though, I love that line, my head's full of rocks and my heart's heart is stone, but Jesus' grace is what changes that and, and revolutionizes my life. And as we talk this morning, I, I guess what I hope is that what we'll be talking about this morning is kind of a pragmatic thing and a practical thing, but I hope that that'll be the lens that you listen to it through this morning as Neil's reading from Ephesians 2 that it's God's grace that has changed our lives and continues to change our lives. Uh, so as Doug said, this is our third and final week of our uh, Timeless series. It's a pretty short series. Um, I'm excited for what's coming up next week. We just have kind of a standalone Sunday with Doug. The week after, the staff are going to be gone, and so you guys get to hear from Barry Helm, which is going to be really awesome. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, after that, we're going to be on February 10th kicking off a series through the Gospel of Mark that will take us a few months um, I'm really pumped to just slow down and work through uh, that gospel and, and work through kind of the story of Jesus through there. So if you're a keener and you want to like, you know, be all in the know, you can go ahead and read the gospel of Mark in your Bible uh, leading up to the series. I'd encourage you to do that. It will probably uh, make it hit home even a little bit more. The first week of this timeless series, I shared with you our bottom line for the series, and that is that in a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. I think this is really true. I mean, trends come and go all the time. The first week I brought my old pink Blackberry Curve and showed you guys that. And like, like I said, that was the phone. When I got that, I was like, man, this is so legit, so good. Um, now it just sits in a, a bin full of old electronic things that we keep around for some reason, uh, right by Talisee's tissue paper collection and in our basement. And it's just junk now. It was, it was, it was expensive and it was so awesome back in the day. I think about uh, TVs, you know, like 10, 20 years ago, and people got like the really nice new TV, and it's like, this is so, those sit in landfills now, or in doctor's offices across, you know, North America. I mean, those are just garbage now. No one, you know, um, and that is like, that, that is the reality with things in our world. Things come and go, uh, trends, electronics, tech, uh, fashion. I mean, like, think about the hairstyle Doug probably had in his senior year of high school back in like the 1920s, right? Like, I mean, suit. So, that, that's come and gone, you know? So, 
But we believe that there are ways to live your life that never go out of style, that are timeless, that, that will never change as an awesome thing. And in the second week, Doug uh, unpacked uh, what we think is specifically one of the most effective ways you can live a timeless life. And that's through trusting God with your finances and giving. He got very specific with that, uh, this idea of giving. And what I want to do is this morning, I'm going to be talking largely about the same kind of thing, but uh, Doug was very specific about giving and just kind of broadened that a little bit more to how that plays out in our entire lives. And I hope it's helpful and encouraging this morning uh, as we do that, because we hope to be a church full of people who live with eternities in mind, who live like everyday matters and the choices that you make echo and ripple throughout all of eternity. I hope that we live with the reality in mind that the choices, the decisions, the lifestyles that we take on now impact everything in our future. And I hope that we take on timeless ways to live that, that never go out of style. We don't want you to live lives that go out of style. This morning, I'm going to be talking about a timeless trait uh, that I believe not only impacts your life, it not only impacts your future and your eternity, but, but can revolutionize your entire family tree. Generations from now, you'll have descendants maybe, but if you do, uh, generations from now, they won't even know your name. Like you'll be long gone in, in the ground or whatever. And uh, it sounds very harsh, but try to name your great-great-grandpa and you'll know that I'm right. Um, but you'll, you'll be a thing of the past. But I believe that if you're effective in making uh, good decisions in this regard and living a timeless life in this regard, it, it can continue on and ripple and impact their lives even long after they remember your names. Um, that's not the same for me. Generations from now, people sit around the supper table and be like, oh, remember great-great-grandpa Ryan? But for the rest of you, that's how it'll be. So anyways, the timeless trait I want to talk to you guys about this morning is financial freedom. And, and I want to be really clear I said that I hope that you listen to this through the lens of Ephesians 2, uh, the idea of God's grace uh, changing us and saving us. We talk about this this morning. I'm really not talking about money. I'm talking about a huge and enormous aspect of your lives that we hope that you will leverage in the ways that you think in. We ask you guys to think in. We ask you guys to engage personally with God, to have a relationship with him, to surrender to him, to serve him with your entire lives. This idea of thinking in comes in Matthew when Jesus says, love the Lord with your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And I mean, your wallet <laughs> echoes in all of those areas, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. I don't know what you think when you hear the words financial freedom. Maybe you're sitting here and you hear financial freedom and you're like, yeah, right. I'm so far in debt, that's just not, that's a joke to think about financial freedom. You know, there's no way that that's possible. I'm too far gone. I, I just can't do that. Maybe you sit here this morning and you hear financial freedom and you just feel pressure and you're, you're, you're kind of like tense up because you're like, oh, like they're touching on something kind of sensitive and awkward in my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, why is the church talking about money so much? And, uh, well, if you're thinking that, we're not next week, so come back, but... Um, we have been talking about it a bit. We just think it's enormous. We think that if you can trust God with your finances and let him work his grace in your finances and the way that you steward and manage what he's given you in your bank account, that it will change your life in massive ways. This really is about honoring God with who you are in an enormous area of your life, and that's your finances. No matter what you feel this morning when you hear the idea of financial freedom, what I want to say that is this. I truly and passionately believe that financial freedom is available and accessible to every single person in this room today. No matter what you feel when you hear that, no matter what you think, no matter what your ideas are, if you, if you doubt that, 
And as a church, as a staff, and as a church family at FBC, we want you to experience financial freedom. We, we desire for you to experience financial freedom. And more importantly than that, we believe that God wants you to experience financial freedom. And, and I'm not going to be trying to make you feel bad or guilt you or beat you over the side of the head if you're not there. Uh, but I do hope that this morning inspires you with some hope that you can get there. Financial freedom is a really important talk, topic to talk about because the opposite of financial freedom is really what's true and real in our world that we live in today. Financial bondage, financial enslavement, those might sound like intense words, but stick with me for the next 20, 30 minutes. Financial bondage is alive and well in our world, alive and well. I looked up some statistics, and I shared this two weeks ago. It's hard to find really good Canadian statistics because they're way more for the United States. So I looked it up, and uh, the United States, the citizens of the United States collectively on their credit cards are carrying $733 billion of debt. $733 billion of just credit card debt in the United States. So I figured, well, you could probably divide that like population by 10. I actually found out, I was talking to someone who uh, works for a financial planning company, Canada is actually worse off uh, based on population. We have over $94 billion of credit card debt amongst Canadians, just credit card debt. Um, The average Canadian credit card interest rate, if you add them all up, is about 15.96%. That means that every month, Canadians are paying one and a quarter billion dollars in interest. Every month, one and a quarter billion dollars. What what is one and a quarter billion? That's just a number. Like, I can't even, you know? Like, I can't live enough lifetimes to even think about that amount of money. We're enslaved by debt in our world. The average Canadian, the average, average, so all of us, average Canadian holds $15,000 of credit card debt. That's a lot of money. And these are just statistics, and these are just numbers. And I want you to know, this morning, my bottom line isn't going to be Get rid of your credit cards. Credit cards are evil. That, Talcy and I have a credit card. We use it within our budget, and we pay it off every month, so we pay no interest. I mean, I think you can use that responsibly. I think you can use it very irresponsibly, too. Some of you actually, this isn't the point, but some of you do need to go home today and cut up your credit cards. You also need to pay them off. You can't just cut them up and think that, that that's not how that works. <laughs> we wish. Uh, you need to cut them up and stop. Because I believe that we need to stop contributing to financial bondage. We need to embrace God's desire. For, this isn't a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying he wants you to be rich. Maybe. Maybe not. He wants you to be free. We want you to experience financial freedom. Um, I think there's a, a lot of skepticism when churches talk about money. And I, I want to talk about those. Not because, I, I don't know if I think we struggle with that that much at FBC. But I want to just maybe shift that view a little bit. I think some people have grown up in the church and they've been to churches where, you know, the pastor gets up and they do like the offering sermon and it's longer than the sermon sermon. It's like you can tell they planned that one, but the other one's just like, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, And and we feel the pressure to give. They're like shaking you down. Like they're kind of like the bully trying to get your lunch money. And I'm sorry that churches have been like that. I'm so, I think the church has done a poor job in, in just offering practical tools to manage your finance as well. We never want you to give out of coercion or compulsion. We're not trying to guilt you into giving to FPC. Some of you might say, well, I got this email at the end of last year letting us know that we were struggling financially. Yeah, we'll let you know when we're not doing well, and we'll invite you to give, but we never want you to feel guilted. Or The only compulsion we want you to feel is, wow, God's been so good to me. 
I can give back. So uh, some people are skeptical because of that. Some people are skeptical because you've watched a lot of TV evangelists who say, send money, send this check for this amount of dollars, and you'll be healthy and rich and all this. And, and maybe you think that seems a bit shady. I want you to know, amen, I agree with you. That is a bit shady. And we don't think that's... We think the people that get rich off of that are the people on TV. And I'm sorry if that's been your experience as people. We will never sell you that kind of a gospel. A statement I've heard a lot in my life is people say, the church just wants my money. I'm sure you've all heard that. Maybe some of you have said that. The church just wants my money. I, I get it. I understand some of the skepticism. But I want to push back on this statement, the church just wants my money, just a little bit. People say the church just wants my money, but it's fascinating because I've never had a conversation with someone who's like, Visa just wants my money. You know, my mortgage company just wants my money. Home Depot just wants my money. Actually, home hardware is more expensive. Home hardware just wants my money. You never hear that, but they do. That's actually literally all. I, I want you guys to know that in the history of Visa or MasterCard, they didn't start out of the United Nations as a nonprofit. They're like, okay, we're really concerned about the lack of fancy TVs and technology and devices in people's houses. We got to supply people. We got to supply the North American needs. No, they're a business that wants your money. In fact, they do better if you make kind of worse financial decisions and they get more money out of you. And that, I'm not faulting them. They're businesses. That's what businesses should do. Businesses should try to make money because otherwise then they're not businesses. That's what they do. But you never hear people complain about that. It's interesting. I've never heard someone say, oh, Best Buy just wants my money. But on Boxing Day in Lloydminster, Boxing Day alone, Best Buy will take more money from people in Lloydminster than FBC will in an entire year. People say, well, the church just wants my money. It's like, well, you know what? Like, it's just an interesting, it's ironic that we say that about the one organization that I think probably want, wants what's best for you financially. We want you to experience financial freedom. Has the church been perfect in that? No, and I'm sorry for your skepticism. I totally get it. Here's what I want you to know about FBC, coming from staff, from church family, and, and largely from the gospel that no matter what your experience has been with church in the past, our church doesn't want something from you. Our church wants something for you. And I always want you guys to know that when we talk about money. Our church doesn't want something from you. Our church wants something for you. Yeah, like, we, we, do, we do have bills to pay and stuff. I mean, so at some point, a couple dollars is nice. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but outside it's about minus three trillion, and inside it's a nice, like, 20, 21. You know, like, that's good. Uh, so we're going to keep that going. But we're not out to get something. I, I don't know if some people sometimes think that we're like on commission. Like what's going to happen this morning isn't that I'm going to preach about this and yell at you and holler at you for 20 minutes and then we're going to pass the plates for a second offering once you feel guilted into it and then I get commission based on how effective that offering was. I tried, but I wasn't allowed to do that, so I passed that. On Monday mornings after we take offering on Sunday, we don't get around the tables of staff and count the offering and be like, okay, let's divvy it up, you know, good sermon, Ryan, here you go, or bad sermon, Doug, we'll take some, you know. Um, we, uh, that's usually how it goes. Now, uh, we, we don't do that. You can write a check for $10 million and drop it in the plate today. My salary will stay the same. And for what it's worth, we could be a much smaller church. We could have less staff, we could have less people, we could have a smaller building with less expenses. That's okay. That's not really... There, there's no personal benefit in it for us to ask for your money. We want something for you. We want you to experience the joy of knowing God through your finances, which is, I mean, money is like one of the biggest parts of your lives. It's how you stay alive. 
It's where you spend most of your money is getting money, and then you spend it. It's huge. And if you can know God in that area of your life, I think it will revolutionize your life. This, my goal this morning, my hope, is that as I talk, I can inspire you to take one small step towards financial freedom. If you're here this morning and you're really struggling, you're really, this is so far from you, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. I don't want you to feel guilted or ashamed. I hope that you feel encouraged to know that there's hope. Maybe you're sitting here this morning like, I can't do it. I want you to know this morning that I believe with my whole heart that you can. If you, if you get into your vehicle to leave today and you're driving away thinking, I can't get there, I can't do that, imagine me sitting shotgun of your vehicle screaming at you. You can do it. You can do it. With God's help, you can do this. Maybe you're here this morning and you've really experienced financial freedom. God's really set you free and he's done an amazing work in your life. I'd invite you for the next little bit that I shared to just worship. Spend your time thanking God. As we talk, say, God, thank you so much that you've set me free. Pray for people in this room and in this community who aren't there. And further than that, leverage it. Don't, don't just be free for the sake of being free. Be free for the sake of being able to encourage and inspire others and invite them into your story and share that with them. I want to look at seven words from the Bible, just a short, it's like half a verse, seven words that are so daunting and intense and kind of negative, but so true, written thousands of years ago that I think are so true and so indicative of our world now. Proverbs 22, 7, it says, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. I think this is a reality that we don't live in at all. We borrow money, we leverage debt, we take, we, we finance everything, and we just feel, ah, I'm free, I own all this stuff. Now, I know the pushback is, well, there's good debt, there's mortgages. That's true. I mean, I think there's a conversation to be said about, had about how we can leverage some of what we have here in North America for that kind of thing. But even in that, I mean, there's, there's bondage. I mean, Talcy and I have a mortgage, and all that means is that we don't own our house. You know, like, we can't just decide, oh, for the next couple of months, we're not going to pay our mortgage and just keep living here. Our bank will show up and say, hey, can you guys please get out of our house? We'll have to move across the street into Barry's house, which might be good. We could start saving on mortgage payments. But we don't own our house. Our bank owns us. Our bank, our bank sets rules over us, and we have to comply. They are our master. And we have to be very aware of that. And we have to be very careful with that. Because a lot of us, we spread ourselves really thin and we take on a lot of bondage and we take on a lot of slavery. And it's scary. It's dangerous. I want to share with you a personal story. And I'm going to share two, this and later from my personal life because I think I can get up here and read from the Bible and talk to you and stats and all that. But I think for me, probably some of the most helpful things is to hear about other people's journeys. Um, so when I was in grade 11, um, a lot of you know this part of my journey, but when I was in grade 11, uh, Barry came up to me and he said, hey, do you want to start a band? And I said, yeah, not knowing that I was writing off the next like decade and a half of my life, but I was like, sure. And so we graduated high school and uh, most people in high school bands got the memo that you're supposed to like quit and like go make something out of your life. We didn't hear that. So we kept the band together and shortly after we're like, let's start touring. Let's, let's go across the country and start touring and playing shows. And so we knew we had a lot of things to do. We had to like work, we had to book some shows, we had to start doing these things, get ready, get merchandise and all that. Uh, we had gear and we had a trailer, but we didn't have a tour vehicle. We knew we needed to get a tour vehicle because we didn't really like the idea of uh, like pulling our trailer 
uh, and walking all across the country to, to play shows, you know? Um, I probably could have, but Barry's not that strong, so it wouldn't have worked out very well. You know, it's like, hey, book a show in Edmonton. Yeah, we'll be there in two weeks, you know? Um, but so it was, we, we found this van, this 15-passenger van, nothing crazy. It was $10,000, and we're like, well, we have about zero, so uh, we'll need approximately $10,000 more. So we got a line of credit from the bank to get this, uh, this van. And we got it, and we're like, okay, this is awesome. We got this $10,000 debt. They're going to charge us interest every month. Uh, we'll just sell a whole bunch of T-shirts and CDs at our shows, and we'll, we'll just pay this off. And that sounded like a really good plan to 19- and 20-year-old us. However, if someone would have grabbed a calculator, a paper, and a pen, and just sat down for five minutes with us and said, all right, $12 CD, $15 T-shirt, minus the expenses of making them, VS, $10,000 debt, with interest accruing every month, we would have pretty quickly been like, oh, that's, that's not going to work. That's just, that's a lot. You got to sell like, you got to merch like Justin Bieber to pay that off, you know. And so we quickly realized, man, like this is a heavy load. And I'm very thankful for everything that we did with Kairos. We had so many amazing uh, ministry opportunities. But man, I wish I could go back and change a little bit about how we did that. Because we became enslaved to this debt that, was, that, that plagued us for years. And for years, it demanded from us, and it owned a part of us. And it cost us in so many areas of what we did. And it ate away, it ate away at us. And this is one of the issues with the lack of financial freedom. When we're in debt, a lack of financial freedom, being in financial bondage, it's not just about your money. It's not about like your retirement or your inheritance for your kids or anything like that. It takes away your ease of mind. It takes away your peace of mind. It eats away at your relationships. Finances are still the number one cause of divorce in our world. And even if they're not the main cause of a divorce, they're almost always a factor. It's destroying relationships and families all across our country. Dave Ramsey often says, act your wage. And man, that is not what we were doing when we took on that $10,000 line of credit. Our wage was... Sometimes we have this misconception that people touring in bands and musicians are making a bunch of money. Here to set your minds free from that misconception today. Uh, they talk about the richest 2 to 5% in the world and then everyone else is poor in the music industry. It's just that on steroids. You know, a couple people making money up here and then everyone else is like, it's just homeless guys traveling around in vans, right? And um, it, it plagued us for years. We, it took a, even to the end, we felt the echoes and the ripples of that bad financial decision. It's kind of interesting, it's an interesting thing for me to talk about this morning because there probably, just to be really real, uh, there are probably people here listening to me talk this morning that drove their bad financial decision to get here this morning to hear me talk about it. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that, but I hope that I can inspire you to reconsider what you're doing with what God's given you. We didn't act our wage, we felt the bondage, and we felt the slavery of what we had taken on. And I think that's really the problem here, is that so many of us are unwilling to act our wage. So many of us are unwilling to come to terms with what reality is and live in reality that, that we make terrible decisions. And this really becomes a problem when you think about what the gospel is. The gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ came to earth, didn't have to, came to earth 
to set us free. Neil read earlier from Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our sins. Other parts of scripture says we were enslaved to sin. Jesus Christ comes and brings us back to life. He sets us free from our sins. Jesus came to bring free. This is the God. Nothing else we do at FBC matters in comparison to the gospel that Jesus has come to set us free. But yet we take one of the biggest areas of our lives and we enslave ourselves and we say, Jesus, thank you for the gospel, but I choose slavery. The gospel becomes something we believe in rather than something that we live. We live in a world where most people don't know the gospel and we're supposed to show it to them, not just by what we say, but by how we live. But how can we show people freedom when we're a church that's living enslaved and in bondage to finances? You you know, we live directed by our desires and our wants and our greeds. Our stomach wants it or our mind. Our neighbors have it. The newest thing, the fanciest thing, I need this vehicle. If I don't have this vehicle or this house or if I don't have this, then then I, I just won't be happy. And we choose slavery. What a slap in the face to the God of the universe who offers us freedom through the grace of the gospel. And here's the problem. You've read, hopefully you've read the parable of the, the manager who gives his, uh, his servants five talents, two talents, and one talent. And he says, or, or bags of gold, if you're reading a more modern translation, he says, I'm going to go away and manage this. He comes back and the guys with five and two have doubled it. They've been faithful and the guy with one just hid it and brings back his one. I think sometimes we're concerned that we'll be the guy that hid the one in the ground and we'll bring it back and say, here's your one back. Here's my concern. We live in the richest part of the world in the richest time in history, and we're doing worse for credit card debt than any part of the world. God has given us, he has trusted us. He didn't create you in this time and space by accident. You're not rich by accident. You're rich by design. God's given you so much to leverage, to change the world. And we're not going to be that one talent guy who just brings it back. What we are is we're the five talent guy who when Jesus comes back, we say, oh, I buried it in the ground, but I'm sorry, it's actually gone and we owe the bank interest on it, Jesus. The gospel is in debt when we're in debt. I mean, maybe I sound animated and, and maybe. I, I know I, I'm passionate about this. When we sit around as a staff, when we talk about finances, it's not, hey, how can we meet budget? It's how can we help our people experience freedom and experience the gospel in every aspect of our, their lives? We've attributed Jesus to certain spiritual aspects of our lives and kept finances and our greeds aside. And rather than making the sacrifices it takes to experience freedom in the gospel in our finances, we're becoming the five-talent guy who squanders it and is in debt when Jesus returns. It's the church in North America. We should, be, we should be revolutionizing the world with what we've been given. God has given us so much. Too much. We, we have way too much. We're wasting it. Again, I, I know I'm raising my voice. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. The only person that should be your God is God. God should be your God. If your cravings, your desires, your chasing of trends is your God, then you're missing the gospel. If Visa or MasterCard or your house or your vehicle is your God, then you're missing the gospel. We just want something for you. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. Jesus wants you to be free in every aspect of your life. That's the gospel message, including your finances. I think a lot of us think we can get ourselves into a mess and pray our way out of it. It's like, you know, when you're in high school and you're like, 
You got days to study for an exam and you don't, and then that morning you're like on your knees, like, God, please just inspire me with knowledge. Help me know how to do biology this morning so I can pass my exam. That was like me, except without the prayer part. I was just like, whatever. But um, that doesn't make sense. Jesus must look at those prayers and say, I've given you good education. I've given you teachers. I've given you textbooks. For a lot of us, we get ourselves into a financial mess. We make bad financial decisions. We say, Jesus, please heal this. Please fix this. He says, you're just wasting and spending money. If you can't afford to eat out all the time, don't act your wage. If you can't afford that vehicle, don't act your wage. If you're in a financial mess this morning, there's hope, and we believe in that for you. And you should pray about it, but you also need to act your way out of that financial mess. And I hope this is a wake-up call to our church, because like I said, we have so much. We should be revolutionary. There, there should not be needs in our community because we should be able to meet them, but we can't meet them if we're, if we're strapped. You need to have a plan. You can't just go home and be like, oh, I, I'll figure this out. You need to have a plan. And I want to give you guys a simple framework for a plan this morning. And you might be like, well, what about this? There might be other things to consider, but I want to give you a simple framework for a plan. This plan is this. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. And yes, in that order. I believe that if we're really infused with the gospel, that the first thing we do when we receive anything in life should have a desire to give, to be compelled towards generosity. Jesus was so generous that he died from his generosity. He came and gave until it hurt and then kept on going. What we have isn't ours. God's just blessed us. First thing we should do is give. Then we should save. And then we should live. And I'm going to get a little bit more specific. It doesn't have to be like, like, like I said, I mean, there are other plans out there. I think this is a really simple plan that if everyone in our church embraced this, it would be revolutionary. I would suggest this model. Give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. A couple objections to this. First of all, people are like, oh, give 10%. He's talking about tithing. You know, that's a really legalistic thing. It's just old. Here's what I'll say. Yeah, tithing is mostly talked about in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's talked about a little bit. It's never like, they never say anything bad about it. But Jesus doesn't, it's true. Jesus doesn't sit down with his disciples and say, all right, Peter, James, John, here's what you have to do. 10% pre-tax to the local church. But if you move towns, you know, you got to like, as you cancel your membership, like switch your, you know, get new offering. It's not, it's not a legalistic thing. Don't hear me this morning saying, this is a thing of legalism or I just believe that if we really believe in the gospel, that the first thing we should do when we get is give. We're so rich. You are so, I, I don't care who you are. You're sitting in this room this morning, you're rich compared to the world. Give. Give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. A lot of people would say, wow, that's 80% to live on. Ryan, I can't do that. You don't know my income. And you're right, I, I don't, I actually don't know any of your incomes. Um, here's what I'll say. And maybe this is like hard truth, but if you can't live, if you're living a lifestyle where you can't live on 80% of your income or less, you're living a foolish, unsustainable lifestyle. And I'll say that to be harsh. You might say, well, oil prices are down. Well, the problem is, is that people, before the oil prices were down, were living on 100% of their income, and then what happened? Oil prices went down. The problem wasn't that the oil prices went down. It's that people had overleveraged themselves, overspent themselves. People were, were strapped in debt. We're paying one and a quarter billion dollars a month in credit card debt, just credit card debt. If you can't live on 80% or less, then what, it's like you're driving 120 miles down the highway and it feels good for a while, but you don't know there's a roadblock coming that you can't see and it's going to hit you one day. It's going to eat away at your future. It's going to eat away at the future of your kids. If you can't live on the rest, then you just need to, you, you, what you need to do is reassess how you're living. 
In North America, in Western Canada, we don't have an income problem, we have an outflow problem. The issue likely isn't your income. It's probably your outflow. I want to tell you guys, uh, I, I'm sure you've heard that um, on Tuesday we're starting this six-week Dave Ramsey course. And Dave Ramsey's awesome. He's got a lot of wisdom to offer. It's not the only way to do it, but he's really awesome. Um, it's called Total Money Makeover. If you're here and you're even slightly struggling with your finances, um, Tuesday was the cutoff date to register, but we really want you guys there. So if you'll sign up today or tomorrow, you can go to the info center or talk to the office or whatever. If you'll sign up, We'll photocopy books until your books come in. We'll make space for you. There are a lot of people sign up. It's going to be awesome. Please sign up. Don't cancel whatever you have on Tuesdays. These next six weeks will be worth whatever you have to cancel. Cancel it. Come for the next six weeks. If your only issue this morning, you're sitting here and saying, Ryan, I'm so strapped, I can't afford the $50 for it. Don't, I'll, I'll pay your $50. Bucks. I, don't, I don't care. We'll figure out a way for you to get there. That, that doesn't matter. If that's your only obstacle, that, that's not an obstacle. We can... Figure that out. So please sign up today or tomorrow. We'd love to have you there. I want to close by sharing a little bit more with you guys from my personal journey. And I want to tell you that um, it, this week I've been a little bit conflicted. I've been praying about this and struggling and thinking about this because I, I believe one of the best ways I can lead or to teach, I mean, like I said earlier, I think I can talk to you guys and share stuff. I think one of the best ways personally I can lead or teach is to just share my journey and let you know how God's worked in my life comes to money, feels a little icky and awkward sometimes. I mean, I know that the Bible says in Matthew 6, Jesus says, you know, when you give, don't like announce it with like trumpets. And I, I don't have my trumpet here, so I'm not going to do that. But um, I want you guys to hear my personal journey. What it is, is it's a story of how God's worked in my life and in Talisies and my finances. And I want to share that with you. And I don't want you to hear anything about anything Talisie and I have done because we're, we're selfish, and we haven't done this, but God's worked in our lives, and I hope that this story is just a reflection of how good God is and what he can do in your life. So uh, anyways, I want to share that with you. Um, when I was born, I was really privileged to be born into a family that taught me about giving, tithing specifically, right when I was born. I, I can't remember a time as a child growing up when I didn't tithe, because right from, like, early on when I got my first money, my parents said, when you get Money, the first thing you do is, when you receive, the first thing you do is you give. We approach giving or getting with selflessness. My parents taught me that. I'm so thankful. So I knew growing up, if I got $10, I gave a dollar right away. So I got $20, I gave $2. Got $100, I got out a calculator because I had no idea. Um, <laughs> but we gave. My parents taught me that. So I got older, I wasn't really following Jesus. So I kind of, that kind of dwindled, that kind of faded. wasn't really a thing anymore. Years later, when Kairos had started touring, uh, we had been touring a bunch, and we got approached by this organization called World Vision. And um, they, they just said, hey, if you guys want, uh, you guys can um, partner with us and get kids sponsored at your shows. So we'll give you uh, these like, pictures of children that need to be sponsored, and you can take them to your show, put them on your merch table, and people can, like, you mention it, and people can sponsor a child. I'm like, that's, that's pretty cool. So uh, we said, yeah. So we started touring, and we, like, would go to our show and we'd take these kids, well, sorry, the pictures of the kids, we wouldn't take kids, um, that'd be crazy, um, but we'd take these pictures of these kids and we'd say something during the show, and it was amazing. People like went to a show and there made a decision to give up like 35 to $40 a month. We'd tell them, hey, every day over 30,000 kids die from hunger and preventable diseases. It's actually a little bit less now, which is cool, but um, 
We tell them that, and they sponsor a kid. And this is incredible. Shortly into it, uh, I started to have kind of this internal conversation with myself where I was like, man, like, maybe it's kind of weird that we're doing this and I'm not sponsoring a child. I'm not really giving to anything. And I, I did what we all do when we're faced with conviction or maybe a good idea that comes from God, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And I figured out the, the human reasons why it didn't make sense, right? And so I felt convicted. Maybe I should sponsor a child. I was like, well, you know, I'm not making much money. I'm touring in a band. It's, it's tough. I got expenses. I got to pay for stuff. I just don't know if I can afford it. And I started to realize I got convicted pretty hard. I was like, you know what? But I'm just talking about the things I want. Like, I could make some sacrifices, you know? I could, I could buy less cell phone minutes. Per, we used to have to buy minutes for our cell phones. Yeah. Buy less cell phone minutes per month so that a child could live for extra minutes. And I realized I realistically probably can make this happen. So, because God convicted me, not because I'm so noble, I didn't want it to do it, I decided to sponsor this little girl from Ethiopia named Fate. It's a cute little girl. And uh, the really fascinating thing about it is I was like, I'm making this sacrifice, so I'm going to feel this every month. A few months in, I didn't even notice it. I was like, this is so easy. The thing that surprised me the most was how easy it was. And I really don't believe in the prosperity gospel that if you get, you'll be richer. But it was pretty fascinating once I started to take hold of my finances rather than letting my finances take hold of me, that I realized that my finances started to make a lot more. It's pretty interesting. When you do the things God wants you to do, life starts to make more sense. I don't always know how that works, but it does. So it was really fascinating. So after a while, I was like, well, <laughs> this wasn't that hard. I could probably sponsor another kid. And so I sponsored another child. And again, after a while, I was like, man, like, this is easy. Like, it cost me a little bit here, a little bit there. Order off the value menu instead of getting the combo. It wasn't that hard. Years later, I met Talisi. And uh, we had decided uh, when we started dating and uh, we were going to get married and all that, we had decided that what we wanted to be one of the central core tenets of our, um, of our relationship was that it would be that we would, we would honor God with what we have with our finances and that we would... Uh, <laughs> Doug's rubbing off on me. Um, sorry, I'm thinking about meeting Talisi and I'm crying. And so, uh, joy, not regret. Okay. Um, <laughs> We, we decided we wanted this to be a central thing in our lives, so we're like, let's, let's do this. And so we, we got some more sponsor kids, um, and oh, and shortly after I got my second sponsor kid, I was like, oh yeah, that tithing thing, I should try that. My parents taught me about that. That was a really good idea my parents had. So we started doing that, and for us, the, the, we found that the more we gave, the more it was just, the more we trusted God with what we had, the more life just made sense. We had lost some things. We don't have some of the luxuries that some people have. We don't have cable. That's okay. It doesn't matter. We don't need cable. But it, it, life just makes sense. We're, we're not struggling. We're not fighting about finances because we're not in bondage to it anymore. We, we've, we've let God be our God, and we control our finances in a way that hopefully honors him. Again, this is not about us. This is just God's story because we're selfish people. But what had happened for us that was really cool was a little while after we got married, I, I got, I felt convicted, we felt convicted and challenged by God. He's like, it's cool that you're giving 
It's not like we sat down with a calculator and did 10% to the local church, like to the penny, but we, as a general practice, gave 10% to the church. We tithed, and then we did our giving beyond that to missionaries and sponsor kids and stuff, but we, we felt God saying, you know what? It's cool that you came back and you started tithing, but that's your starting point. How more can you honor me? How, how much are you willing to let the gospel change your life? And we felt convicted to, to, to increase that because we knew we could, because we knew we could trust God. And so we decided, well, every once in a while, let's just add 1% to our tithe and, and just continue to grow and see where this takes us throughout our lives. And 1% growth doesn't sound like that much. I mean, it's 10% more tithe, but, you know, it's a little tough. Whenever you think about that, you're like, I don't know, like, we want our money, you know? So it was interesting, because the first time we did that, we increased by 1%, and we, uh, shortly in, again, we were like, we don't even notice it. It's not even that hard. Again, I can't be clear enough. This is not a story about us. What happened was uh, we, we continued to follow that pattern and just continued to feel God just come in our lives, in our finances, and, and just pour his freedom and his blessing on us. And, and we haven't had to worry about money. Um, a year and a half ago, Talisi was a few months from... Uh, getting ready to eject the baby from her womb, and uh, we, uh, it was big. Um, we, I, I felt that it was kind of that season or that time where maybe we would add a 1% to our tithe and, and take another step forward in faith. It, it, this is the funny thing, this, this journey I'm telling you about is years and years and years, even a year and a half ago, because of who I am as a, as a selfish human who struggles with sin, this was my posture to God. But God, like, you know, I don't know if you know, kind of like the, the touring in a band job, Talcy and I both work at a church, not kind of where you go if you're like, I want to make bank. But we, uh, I was like, God, like, Talcy's about to go on mat leave. We're about to have this other human living in our house. It's, it's going to be tight. And... It was, I was so interested that even after years and years of God's provision, it helps me read the Old Testament better because I'm like, oh, this is why these guys are such idiots because I'm also an idiot, is that after years and years of God's provision and health and freedom in my life, I still struggled with this. But eventually, we, we prayed about what we talked about. We we're like, yeah, let's go forward. A year and a half later, Talcy did mat leave. Avra's doing her thing. You know, We spent a million dollars on diapers this past year. We're not hipster enough for cloth, but um, we, um, we don't even notice it. Uh, God's been so good to us. Again, that's, that story has nothing to do with, if anything you hear in that story, hear that I resonate with you when you struggle to trust God and that you struggle to not be selfish. Cool thing for me now is, is that now that we have a, this baby, right when she was born, I opened a bank account for her. We give her a little bit of money every month, and... We got her her own debit card, and so every month we bring her here, and she goes to the info center, and she tithes. She has no idea what's going on, but I want my baby to grow up. As I say, she gives before she does anything else. She doesn't do anything else with her money, but I want her to grow up knowing that when she gets money, the first thing she can do is to give, and that she never needs to be in bondage to finances. She doesn't need to be in bondage to anything. God can be her God, and that's what I want for you guys. I share my personal story so that you know that God can work in the lives of anybody, whether you're high income, low income, young, old. It doesn't matter who you are. The gospel is like Jesus wants to set you free. 
And he wants you to trust him with what you've got. He's given you so much. As far as FPC goes, as far as the staff goes, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. I hope that you guys will learn to lean into God with your finances. Because I, I, from my personal experience, it will be one of the most pivotal things that you ever do in your life. This is a tough message. If you're, not, if you're not here, if you're so far from financial freedom, it's tough. And I hope that it instills hope, not shame. If you're struggling, please come talk to us. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you, help you out, and please sign up for Total Money Makeover. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you that for some reason you've chosen us here in Lloydminster in 2019 to trust us with so much of your blessing, so much as far as resources go. And thank you that you've also trusted us with the gospel, God. Man, I pray that we would take that seriously. That we would be the five-talent guy who brings back ten talents when you return, God. Please help us be a church that reflects the gospel to our community, not only in what we say, but in how we live and how we handle our finances. Help us live in timeless ways that never go out of style, but that echo through eternity. God, we're so grateful for who you are and for your love and grace and compassion that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an awesome week, you guys. We'll see you next week.